Open your Bibles this morning to Psalm 23. Psalm 23. We've been going through uh, week after week some very, very simple messages. doesn't get any simpler than the Lord's Prayer. And yet, uh, God was using it in our lives. I heard lots of good reports from people who felt like that was life for them. And we've just been taking simple messages. This is another one. Doesn't get any, any simpler than this, Psalm 23. Probably people's all time favorite psalm. Probably the most quoted psalm. Probably uh, a psalm that shows up at almost every funeral. Uh, it's, it's, it's one that even unbelievers can quote. And um, it's all about the Lord. The Lord is my shepherd. And I, I'm not sure, but I picture, my imagination I, allows me to, to see how this psalm probably came about. David was a shepherd boy, and he was looking after someone else's sheep and pastored them with all his heart to the point where one morning a bear comes strolling in the camp, picks up a lamb, and David runs toward the bear, grabs him by the beard, kills him, takes the lamb out of his mouth, kills him. I mean, you really have to be a, a different kind of heart. I mean, anyone else would have said, hey, there's lots more lambs where they came from. You can have that lamb. Sometime later, a lion came strolling in the camp, picked up a lamb, and David ran after the lion, killed him with his bare hands, took the lamb back to his mother. And God saw all this, and and did something very, very powerful for David. He turned, he turned around what he was doing for these sheep and he turned it around on him and, and spoke to him and said, David, I'm your shepherd. I'm your pastor. Just like you care for these sheep and you look after them, I look after you. And David at one moment got a revelation somehow that God was his his pastor, his shepherd, and no one cared for him like his shepherd. And he got some parchment and began to write and, and put this, compose this as a song, and it was sung for generations. You know it by heart. You probably learned it in the King James, and my mind always goes to King James anytime I think of this psalm. But it says, the Lord is my shepherd, Psalm 23, verse 1. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we often think of, we go to money, we think of finances. But as a shepherd, someone who's your pastor, he looks after everything that you need. We have spiritual needs. He, he fed us this week, spirit, soul, and body. He provides everything that we need, and that's what shepherds do. Most amazing thing about sheep, is they're, they're completely helpless. They would just die unless someone led them, unless someone took them places, unless someone took them to food or took them to water. They just seemed so helpless. And David had this revelation that God was his shepherd. And I remember, I remember when that got into my heart, and I, I began to look to him as my pastor. God, you're my pastor. He's someone that I can go to. I shall not want. I can tell him my struggles. I can tell him my concerns. I can tell him my, my faults, my failures. I shall not want. He provides. He looks after me. There's no one like Jesus. 
One of the things we learn in Scripture is that, that God is the chief shepherd. That you are his sheep. You're the sheep of his pasture. You're not my sheep. It doesn't work that way. I have a responsibility, Nelson, the other pastors, there's four of us who work together to look after you uh, here and then beyond that, there's small group leaders, care group leaders, which are an extension of our pastoral care. But I can't pastor you. I can't shepherd your heart. You can't possibly ever say, Penn's my pastor, I shall not want. That'll, that'll fail in a, in a heartbeat. I can't provide for you. I can't provide the simplest things for you. But the, you have a pastor. You have a pastor who cares for you, a pastor who has laid down his life for you, a pastor who's run to the lion, he's run to the bear. There's no one like Jesus, and, and something has to change in your thinking, that has to come in your thinking that Jesus is my pastor. There's no one who can pastor me. I can move from church to church, denomination to the denomination, spiritual season to spiritual season, but there's no one who pastor me, pastors me like Jesus. But what Peter wrote in 1 Peter chapter 5, he talked to the elders of the church. He said, I'm also an elder. That means pastor. He said, shepherd the flock that's among you. Feed them. Care for them. Don't do it for money. Don't do it. Don't do it to put yourself in a place of uh, dominating, overlording people. Some pastors pastor that way. They, they do it for the position they do it to be elevated. They do it for, for uh, the prestige. Some of them do it for money. Peter wrote to the pastors, the elders that he was relating to in Cappadocia and Galatia and the different regions that he was pastoring. And he says, here's what you, here's what you do. He says, someday you're going to stand 18 inches in front of Jesus. Now I'm adding a little to it. You're going to stand 18 inches in front of the, the chief shepherd. And he's going to ask for an account of how you look after his sheep. You're not my sheep. You're his sheep. But the way he pastors us so often is he uses people. He uses our parents. He uses our parents. Parents, you're to shepherd your children's heart to Jesus. You're to open up. You're the first person to be able to open the word to them and make heaven real and make hell real and and, and feed them and nurture them and bring them up. I mean, you're the first person to really pastor them, but you're just an extension of Jesus. He's the chief shepherd. And you will also stand 18 inches in front of Jesus, and he'll ask you how you pastored your kids. You'll be held accountable for how you pastor your kids. The school system, are, they're, they're not responsible to train and, and develop and teach your kids. You are. You are. Nobody can do that. You have them uh, more time. I actually, when, when I was, my kids were little, I got my pencil out and I figured out who had the more, who had the, the most influence in my kids' life. Was it the school? Was it the church? Was it Sunday school? The Sunday school teachers, which we were grateful for, but they couldn't pastor my kids. The only ones who could do that, the only one who could really do that was me. But you have to give an account to the chief shepherd, the one who's ultimate, the ultimate shepherd. We have to remember that. We have to keep that in mind. Verse 2. He makes me to lie down 
in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Sheep can't drink out of running water. They have to run, uh, drink out of a, a place where there's a bit of a pool. He says, he makes me lie down. And I don't see that as something that he forces you. It's not anything like that. But the shepherd's responsibility is to bring them to a place where they can lay down and they can eat, they can chew the cud, and they can be relaxed. And they don't eat well unless they're rested. They don't eat well unless they're at peace. There's something in the nature of sheep that they, if they're agitated, they just won't eat. I think that's true of us as well. I don't think you can be spiritual unless you're rested. I don't think you can be exhausted and spiritual at the same time. I don't think you can eat spiritually unless you're rested. You won't be in the Bible. You won't be in prayer. You won't be in meetings when you're agitated and when you're going from issue to issue and conflict to conflict and day to day and job to job. And then at the end of it, with a little bit that you have left over, you park in church you can't possibly be getting anything out of that. It is not possible. You may be here in person, but I doubt that you're receiving very much from the Lord because sheep, and, and we're the sheep of his pasture, we're like sheep in every possible way. It's a perfect description of us. But if we'll listen to our shepherd, and, and I will never know, I, I won't be in your house on Saturday night, but I'll tell you this, if you start Saturday night at supper and you start dialing back and you start unplugging and you stop offloading all the stuff related to work and put your phone away or whatever it is that's always distracting you with work, and say, tomorrow's, tomorrow's a day of rest, and I need to be in, I want to be receptive. I want to be open to my pastor, to my pastor Jesus. And you begin this, uh, the way the Jewish people do it is to begin the Sabbath the night before. It begins on Friday evening at, at sundown. And they go into rest mode, and they do that right around the clock, right up until the next evening on Saturday evening. And I've been in Israel, and uh, when they've been on the Sabbath, and it's enviable. It's absolutely beautiful. It's enviable. The way they eat, the way they walk, the way they slow down, the way they stop everything. It's absolutely enviable. Your pastor will rest you. He'll cause you to lie down. He wants to feed you. He wants to give you nutrition, but he won't make you. He won't grab you by the scruff of the neck and make you do this. That won't happen. But he'll remind us Week by week, day by day, he'll even show you how to take a little rest every day so that you can be open to be fed. He will pastor you. But I'll tell you something he'll never do. He'll never run you ragged. He'll never burn you out. He'll never drive you and push you. And I know pastors who do. They push their people. They, uh, someone was, uh, the other day from camp meeting, uh, I came by on Friday morning to say goodbye to some people. He said, he said, I've been to so many conferences where after the end of the conference, you have to have a vacation because you're so exhausted, because the schedule is so, so uh, full and there's so much. He said, thank you for this conference, this week of meetings that was restful. I think that's the. Sh I don't think that's me. I think that's Jesus. I think if we'll follow him, we'll find a rhythm for our lives. Where we're moving, we're going places, we're going somewhere, but at the same time, there's time just to lay down in a, in a meadow. There's time to lay beside a brook. I love going down into Lancaster 
County. I love going out to Holmes County. Sometimes I'll see the sheep, and I'll, I love to photograph them. And I'll see them laying beside a pool of water. There's a stream that's running that's fresh, but they'll find those little eddies, those little places where they can just chew their cud and lay down and meditate, so to speak. Jesus wants to rest you, but he'll never impose it on you. He'll never force you. But if you follow him, you'll never burn out. Amen? He leads me. Jesus is our leader. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. He'll lead you in a right way, whether it's in business, whether it's teaching your kids or running your home. He'll lead you in the righteousness. He'll lead you the right way for his name's sake. He wants to guide us. One of the fundamental things you need to know about your shepherd is you can go to him and say, which way do I go? How do I get there? Show me the way. And he will lead you and guide you. He'll lead you in your conflicts. He'll lead you in your, in your difficulties. He wants to lead you. He wants you to follow. It's a fundamental part of a relationship between sheep and shepherd is that he leads, they follow. I can't lead you. I can't lead you. I just fundamentally, I can't, hardly, I can't lead me. How can I lead your family? I can't lead me. When it comes to this house, when it comes to this, this particular part of the kingdom, our little branch, I can lead this church. I can lead it and find a rhythm, find a way that we can go, where we can go to nutrition. I can do a certain amount, but specifically, I can't do very much for you. The only way you can really come into it is you need to come under your shepherd. The Lord, make the Lord your shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Verse 4. Yea, through I walk, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We all go through stuff. We go through death. We go through trials. We go through conflicts. There's no way to avoid it. Even in this beautiful psalm, as picturesque as it is, as perfect as it is, it doesn't eliminate the possibility of conflict. But it goes a lot better when Jesus is with you and you're trusting him in it. Rather than saying, Lord, avoid this. Get me, don't let me go through this in the first place. What he says is, I won't remove it, but I'll be with you in it. I'll lead you in it. I'll never forsake you. Jesus said this in the New Testament. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. And that's true of Jesus. You'll go through stuff. Your marriage will go through stuff. That economically, our country will go through things. It will happen. But Jesus says, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll take you through the valley of the shadow of death. One translation calls it death valley. I will fear no evil. I think that's a good word for us. We're in a little pause in the pause. Right now, we're in the crisis of our lifetime as a, as a country. And right now, we're in this little pause, a little pocket of pause. We've had some crazy moments, some hairy moments since January. But I think it's going to get hairier. I think it's going to get crazier. I think this is a pause in the pause, and we should enjoy it. We should take it for what it is. But when evil looks like it's prevailing, he says, I will fear no evil. I will not fear this. I'm not giving in to this. I'm not, I'm not going to let this run my life. I'm not going to let this rule my life. 
My shepherd is the decider of my life. He's the one that determines what's going to happen to me. No matter what's happening to our culture or our country, you have a pastor, a pastor who will be with you, a pastor who will guide you. Someone said one time, they said, Jesus does not promise that your truck won't break down, but he'll wait with you while the tow truck comes. As long as he's with me, as long as he's with me, I can endure anything. I can go through anything. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. He's talking about two kinds of stick here, and I've seen them. I, I've been around real shepherds. I, I gravitate to shepherds, even though you know, I, I, I don't see it as just because I'm a pastor. I, I'm just interested in this. But oftentimes they'll, see, they'll have a, a, a crook, quite a long stick with a, a hook in it. Uh, I have one in my office, actually. The sheep won't naturally just come to you. You can't just walk up on a sheep. The more you walk up on it, the, way, the more it moves away. So you can only get so far, and you have to hook them. You have to get under their leg and bring it up around their breast or their back hind leg or their neck and bring them to you. And that's one of the, the things that brought David so much comfort. He, he'd done that thousands of times to thousands of sheep. But he says, Lord, you do the same thing to me. You bring me close to yourself. There's a comfort in that. There's protection in that. And the other stick was, uh, uh, had a knob on it. It's a very short stick. And if you, if you had to throw it, if you had to hit something, you could. And that rod and that staff, those two sticks together bring encouragement. They bring comfort. They bring peace. I'm not afraid of the discipline of the Lord. I'm not afraid of what it takes for him to... Draw me to himself because I know he cares for me. I know he loves me. I know he'll also fight for me. He can throw that stick and stop the enemy. He can prevent harm from coming to me. David with his slingshot, there'd be wolves on the perimeter. They would sneak in. They're not uh, as bold as a lion. They would sneak in the perimeter. But boy, you could hit one of those with a slingshot. That was, a power, that was as good as any, any rifle you could have just as accurate. Your rod and your staff, Lord, your correction and your direction, whatever it takes to bring me close to yourself, I'm fine with. I'm not afraid of that because I know you're my shepherd. I know you love me. Amen? Verse 5. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. How many have enemies? Are you aware that there's people who don't like you? People who are against you? People who are opposed to your success? People who are trying to undermine your success? All of us have enemies. I'm like one of the nicest guys I've ever met. Yet I have enemies all the time. I have people who hate me. People treat me bad all the time. Rather than avoiding that, rather than him saying, let's not let Penn experience that, what he does is he parks me right in the middle of it and he feeds me in front of them. And, and you can't eat when you're all disturbed and you're all distressed and you're afraid. But he works it out so he says, now sit down. I'm going to put out a, a spread before you in the presence of your enemies. That's even a, a, a sweeter win than to avoid them altogether. To be able to sit down and actually sit there and have a meal and have the people who are opposed to you all around you. He's done, he did that to Jesus Jesus 
is perfect. And here he is, he's walking, and he's going from house to house, meal to meal. And the people who invited him for the meal are trying to kill him. They're trying to trap him. And they invite him to the meal, and Jesus could sit there and just eat the meal right in the presence of his enemies, and he'll do the same thing for us. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Linked with that, in verse 5, he says, You anoint my head with oil, my cup runs over or overflows. And I think that's one picture right there. Uh, I'm told, I've not seen this in, in real life, but I'm told that shepherds will take uh, a sh one of the sheep, bring them close to them, and the, the gnats and the bugs, the insects, will burrow in and get up, get up into their eyes, their nose, into their ears, into their burrow, into their wool. And one of the remedies to, to stop that is to anoint them with a oil that would prevent that from happening. I don't know how that works exactly, but David said, and David must have done it many, many times, he says, you anoint my head with oil. I think, I think the way that ministers to me the most is when I see the, what he does to help me get past the distractions, the things that drive me crazy, the things that are always wheedling their way into my life, that trying to take my attention, trying to take away my peace, Say, Jesus, anoint me afresh. Anoint me. Pour oil. Pour your cup. And this, this is a, a one pitcher. The cup is full of oil, and it overflows. And Jesus is just, he wants to bring relief to you. The things that bring you stress, he wants to relieve you. Amen? That makes this verse very worthwhile. This is something I've actually been praying. Lord, anoint my head with fresh oil. We sang it this morning, Rodney and Lillian, thank you for bringing that song, or uh, however you got that uh, powerful song. Verse 6, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. David believed that. He believed that if God is his pastor, that everywhere he goes, goodness and mercy, kindness will follow him, follow me all the days of my life. You could actually say that. You could say that by faith. You don't know what your days hold. You don't know how this thing is going to wrap up. You don't know what's ahead. But you don't have to know the future. All you have to know is the one who's with you. All you have to know is the shepherd, that Jesus is my shepherd. Therefore, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. You know the story but David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem. And uh, before, before that happened, he went to one of his prophets. I think it was Nathan. And he went to the prophet and he said, it's in my heart. I have this thing in my heart. Here I am living in a nice house. And, and God's out there in a tent. And, and the tent was at Shiloh and it was in disrepair. It was 300 years old. If you've ever seen a 300-year-old fur coat, it's pretty ratty. And this thing, was, this thing was made up mostly of fur and different kinds of uh, cloth. And he says he shouldn't be, he shouldn't be out there. That we, we should make a new tent for him and build a, a permanent place for him to abide. And God, uh, well, Nathan, he said, do whatever's in your heart. God's with you in such an awesome way. Just do whatever's in your heart. And he walked away. He didn't even get out of the hallway, got down the hallway, and the Lord visited the prophet right there and said, go back and tell David 
No one has, he said, I've been living in a tent all these years and no one has given it any thought except David. Tell David, I will build him a house. But he used a word that has more like lineage, longevity, family, generations of, of, of people coming from him. And he says, I will build him a house. And he says, tell David this, I'll never remove my mercy from him. I'll never take it away. David later on in the Psalms would play that back as the sure mercies of God. And, and started, he, almost all the Psalms seem to refer to the mercy of God because when God speaks to you prophetically, that, that gets embossed in your head. That, gets, that gets, becomes part of you. And David had this whole sense. God spoke to him and said, I'll never remove my mercy from you. I'll never take it away from your children. My mercy will, be always, with, will always be with you. David caught a vision of it. A thousand years later, Jesus, walking these dusty roads and going through these hamlets and villages, and people saw him as the Messiah, and they said, Jesus, son of David. And they linked him to that. That's messianic stuff. Son of David. Have mercy on me. Have mercy on me. And they were tapping into the sure mercies of David. And even in the New Testament, it's all turned around on us. And we're the, inherit we're the ones who've inherited that promise. Jesus says, I'll never take my mercy from you. My mercy, I'll never remove my mercy from you. One person had a vision of hell. And he saw a tangle of people all tormented and, and hating each other and, and uh, cursing each other and fighting each other. All these spirits held up in one location. But above them, above them was this whole wonderful sea of mercy and angels and God himself looking and, and proclaiming and expressing the very mercy of God toward those people who could never receive it. They're so busy hating each other and so busy uh, cursing each other that they, couldn't, they weren't receptive to the mercy that hovered just above their heads. Even in hell, David said, if I, even if I go to hell, you are there, your mercy is there. He'll never take his mercy from you. But you can re refuse his mercy. You can frustrate his mercy you can resist his mercy you can deny his mercy but you can't stop it his mercy is always toward you he'll never re remove his mercy from me it was a promise he gave david and that promise landed on his son jesus jesus came from david jesus came from jesse jesus is our pastor and he'll never take his mercy from us. Then he, fin he finishes this out with, with a, a glimpse of eternity. He says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. That's here. It, you know, let's stop there. What if we really believed this? What if we really believed this? We'd have nothing to fear. If we really believe this, you can't fail. If you really believe this, if I really believe this, I can go anywhere and not be afraid of what people would do to me, not be afraid of disease, not be afraid of 
persecution, not be afraid of rejection because he, not only is he with me, but mercy and his favor, his kindness, his mercy will never be taken away from me. It almost makes you fearless, free all the days of my life. You can run some risk and he'll sweep up. You can take a risk knowing that he's there. He says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And that takes us to forever. That takes us into eternity. Here's what's going to happen to you. And I can, I can say this with confidence, not, a, not, a, not, pro, not prophetically, based on something higher than that, based on what the Word of God says. Here's what's going to happen to you and to me. A day, a single day called the day, is coming and you'll be in a place with either the congregation of the righteous or the congregation of the wicked and hell and hell and death will be brought out and we'll be all in one place in front of a, a single plain ordinary throne and the Lamb of God will come out and sit on the throne he'll be the focal point of everything and your name will be called. My name will be called. And we'll walk down front. We'll go down to the very front, in front of everybody, in front of everybody who's ever been, in front of every angel and every demon. Lucifer himself will be there. Every, everything that's ever been created or conceived will be in the one room. And everything that happened to you from conception to the time that you were buried, everything that took place will be revealed for what it really was, for what really happened. And one of the things that you'll bow down, you'll confess, one of the things that everyone will be marveling at is they'll see that goodness and mercy was assigned to you from the time you're conceived until the time you died. And everywhere you went, no matter how bad it was, you can say, boy, I went through a difficult time. Yes, we all have gone through stuff, and some worse than others. But you'll never be able to say, his mercy wasn't with me. You'll never be able to say that because you'll see it. You'll see angels who are assigned to you. You'll see angels who are speaking to you. I was with someone the other day who went through a hor horrible, horrible thing. And I just said it by faith. And I said, uh, but God was warning you. God was telling you not to do this. I just said that by faith. The person broke down with such a lament because it was absolutely true. They said, yes, yes, all this hellish stuff happened to me, but God was forewarning me. He was telling me. He was telling me not to. He was, he was on the front end of it, trying to prevent it from happening. What you're going to do is you're going to see your life from conception to the, to the time you're buried. And what you'll see is God's hovering, constant mercy, constant goodness. Your testimony is you were only good. You were only righteous. You, you cared. You cared like no one else. I meet people who curse God, who hate God, who blame God for all of their troubles. They're in for shock because when they look at their life, they'll, they'll see that it was a life that they created. It was a life that they chose but they'll see the mercy. They'll see God's constant care. And they'll be able to, all they'll be able to say is, you were right. You're just. You're just in whatever you decide for my forever. 
because this is the bottom line. You are good. You are merciful. Amen? Let's stand together. Over these next weeks and months, we'll be singing more about this, and I want, I want you to hear it with new ears. When you hear about his goodness, you hear about his mercy, I want you to see it in a fresh way. Can you close your eyes for a minute? I want you to tilt your head back and say, Father, thank you for giving me such a pastor in Jesus. Nobody loves me like Jesus. Nobody cares like Jesus. Jesus, I want you to pastor me. Feed me. Guide me. Protect me. Take me where you want me to go. I surrender to your pastoral care. No man can pastor me. No one understands me like you do. I give you my heart this day. And I declare with my lips that you are my pastor. I shall not want. In Jesus' name, amen.